0: Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that's struggling to keep up. You can barely fit a fag paper between tours at the moment, but we're back and looking to make sense of, among other things, Neil Wagner with a short ball at the Basin Reserve, a South African reverse chokeslam at the Women's World Cup, and England landing their slow low blows out of Bangladesh. It's not quite around the world in 80 days, but Phileas Fogg probably wouldn't fancy taking on the FTP right now. Joining me in the studio to talk Daca Dynamite, Cape Crusades and a timeless test are a pair of rare beasts, multi-format guns who are always available for selection, ESPN CrickInfo UK editor Andrew Miller and assistant editor Matt Roller. Hello both, Uh, good to have you on. Miller, uh, we're a week on from one of the more extraordinary climaxes to a test that any of us are likely to see. have you worked out uh, how you personally would have got those two runs needed for victory had you been in Jimmy Anderson's shoes, uh, facing down Neil Wagner?
1: I mean, that's it's, it's a good question, isn't it? It's 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 that eternal question, the conundrum for a tail ender. You know, you, you go out there, you it's it's a you know, at any level, you're going to end up with that situation. You, are you going to screw it up today? And Lord, no you will. Even a guy, one hundred and seventy nine, tests tests to his name. Uh, all you need to do is just get. Something on it that didn't go to go to hand, and he couldn't. And he came off the of pitch smiling, which um, I don't know. I, I, I was a bit, I was a bit, bit, bit nonplussed by that part of it. I, I, I thought Jimmy would, Jimmy of all people, I could rely on to be deeply, deeply dis, dischuffed at losing a Test match, but no, everyone's very happy, clappy about it. Um, no, it, it, it's magnificent. So uh, you know, we'll get into the nitty gritty of quite how mag- magnificent. I saw Simon Hughes was tweeting about. Let's do greatest. Greatest uh, test victories of all time. Calcutta 2001, Headingley 1981, Bloody, blah blah, blah, blah. I mean, let's face it, this wasn't even the best test this winter. You know, it wasn't a patch on Royal Pindy, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but it was a it was a classic finish. Um, and yet yet another example of um, England's willingness to go for broke. I mean, I mentioned Royal Pindy there. Royal Pindy and Multan, two examples of where England were willing to lose in order to win. And it's so doing they broke open a series that that most other teams would have accepted a 0-0 draw and just written off as as a complete waste of their lives. England rolled the dice again in a circumstance that perhaps they didn't need to quite so extremely, but fair play to them for being true to their desire to bring the jeopardy back to Test cricket. you know we spend spent a lot of time over the over past winters sort of everyone gets far too excited in my opinion about the you know that, that final day dynamic uh, you get 10 men round the bat and you've got some tedious tedious tailenders blocking out for a draw while everyone's uh, getting overexcited like, oh this is test cricket at its finest no it's not test cricket at its finest test cricket at its finest is when there are two sides going for victory and only one of them's going to come out on top and so yeah in short It was a magnificent finish to a magnificent winter, and it was exactly the right way for England to keep going all the way to the end. Um, But I don't think it was a magnificent test per se, uh, because I don't think it was quite as good as the result would lay it out to be.
0: Well, there was a little bit of contrivance, I I suppose, and we will get into that. Um, Shane Warne, obviously a year on from his untimely death, but he would certainly have approved of uh, being prepared to lose in order to win. Matt, I'm guessing you were asleep at the moment that Baz Ball went supernova there. Um, You've had a week honing your subcontinental smarts in the Bangladesh ODIs that began little more than 24 hours after that finish at Basin Reserve. Um, And I'm sure you're going to come on and say uh, that England's series win down there has has lit a similar fire under the (laughs) 50-over format.
2: Yeah, well, it's felt like a very strange, low-key series, hasn't it? Um, I think particularly with uh, certain players missing and certain players making sort of insane dashes across the world. Um, I think Will Jacks was sort of a case in point as to where English cricket is right now. With uh, I think he left the Wellington Test on day two or three, flew um, to, to Dhaka via some... Um, ludicrous route. His luggage arrived 48 hours after he did and uh, then thrown into an ODI debut, uh, having not played a 50-over game for four years previously. So I think that that sums up quite neatly how crazy England's schedule is. I think this is finally the end of the post-COVID catch-up backlog. Um, If you think that 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 New Zealand series only existed as a sort of thank you for New Zealand coming over for um, some coffers-boosting tests in 2021... Uh, from the ECB's point of view and then the Bangladesh tour was postponed basically because of the IPL um, resuming before that T20 World Cup in 2021 which all seems quite a long time ago now but um, this is sort of finally the end of that uh, post-COVID catch-up so uh, I think England's schedule will not uh, get any sort of more logical or sensible over the next few months because um, cricket is intent on eating itself Um, but uh, at least there will be, you know, at least we will be able to blame administrators rather than giving them the easy get out of. Uh, it's all the virus's fault, isn't it? Um, in terms of the winning moment, I was um, sort of in and out of sleep through that night listening to it, and I actually woke up at about six o'clock the following morning, about I think about three hours after England had lost, convinced that I'd heard England hit the winning runs, which I think must have been uh, Anderson's boundary, because uh, I'd heard I'd sort of heard while half awake that they they had one wicket left and not many runs to get, and I heard the heard heard this four being scored and thought that must have been it so I woke up thinking wow, you know one by a wicket that must have been a great test match and sort of only over the next um, couple of hours did I work out exactly what I'd missed um, but yeah leading back to Miller's point I think it's a a, a fair um, negative for, for most England fans in terms of where uh, where it ranks among the greatest England tests of all time uh, I think it has to be uh, slightly lower than it might have been otherwise by the simple fact of the fa- you know that it happens at 3am uh, for most people following it and watching i think that that means that the uh, live viewing audience was significantly lower at home than it would have been for uh, for some of the other greats um, i think headingley 2019 being on a sunday afternoon i think um can't get much better than that in terms of prime time viewing
0: yes yeah i think the audience figures would have probably been on the lower side um Let's start there, then, with uh, with things that go bumper in the night, uh, at least if you're following in the UK. Uh, Neil Wagner's Wellington reboot saw New Zealand become only the second team in uh, near on 2,500 men's tests to win by one run. Um, in doing so, they became only the fourth team in history to win after following on. Um, Wagner's bouncer ploy on the final afternoon broke England open in their chase of 258... And uh, the veteran uh, took the final wicket when Anderson gloved down the leg side. Uh, firstly, Miller, um, you've sort of you've touched on this. Uh, ben Stokes wasn't bothered about losing, uh, but should England fans be? Um, and secondly, what dark magic resurrected Neil Wagner after his Mount Monganui mauling?
1: So first thing, <laughs> should should England worry about it? I you know I thought that the I thought that Stokes was true to everything he's tried to do. With Basball, essentially in in going going for the follow on, I mean, I, as far as I am concerned, the logic I don't think I don't think he expressed it quite this way in the post match. But the way I viewed the logic as it went on was that if England are if England try to break down what they are doing with their team at the moment, yeah, there is no there is no doubt the Basball's biggest strength is is the batting, and so if you are wanting to make sure that you are going to going to be in a position where you can push for the win absolutely be sure of pushing for the win, then you want to make sure that you've got your resources stacked up at the end. You don't want to be in a position where you have to squander those resources by, you know, either batting too quickly, a bit like England in the first test, to be perfectly honest. Um, You know, they they almost tripped over themselves in in their haste to set up that declaration, which ended up being bowled out anyway. So you don't want to either do that or declare, I would say, four down. And then you end up discovering that Wellington's pitch is, is is exactly the sort of road that it's been all along. And you end up with, with New Zealand batting out to safety pretty easily, which could have happened. So the way to speed it along was to make sure that England had that batting backing up to chase whatever was put on the board, if that makes sense. As far as I'm concerned, you know, viewing viewing the wickets as resources, essentially. You don't want to squander those. But then England did squander them, which comes to the second point, Wagner's resurrection. Um, it's extraordinary, isn't it? The, the difference it makes when you've got a defensive mindset facing Neil Wagner in that sort of mood. When you've got an aggressive mindset, like Harry Brook and Co took it took it took to Wagner in Mount Morganui and in the first innings. When you know he's gonna he's gonna be aiming at your head, you know he's gonna be aiming at your head. But I'm gonna be aiming at mid wicket and hitting hitting the grass banks every shot, bang. But then suddenly you're, you're four five down and Neil Wagner starts bowling at your head. You're thinking, ooh, I better not do that because if I top edge this, we're gonna be six seven down. And so suddenly you're second guessing yourself. Even this England team, I think, found themselves second guessing the way to take on Neil Wagner's short ball. And I was I was on ball by ball for much of that period, obviously, because uh, Alan, you were writing the report, so you had, you had far too many far too many um, permutations to deal with. But mo- there were so many people on feedback getting a little bit angsty, mostly New Zealanders, obviously being being the time time of day, uh, all getting really angsty about why are they sticking to this wretched short ball? Just boy, don't they know how to bowl a Yorker. And, you know, it comes back to that, what they said at the end. is like, you know, in that moment, we went to our strength. And the one thing that they have, they have been able to rely upon religiously throughout what has been an amazing run of, you know, World Test Championship winning form for New Zealand, not least on home soil, is the notion that on unresponsive wickets in New Zealand, Neil Wagner hitting the middle of the pitch will win. And it's extraordinary the way he's managed to bounce back from... From from the mauling he took at Mount Manganui. but that will to win and that and as I say that that slight second guessing that that England almost forced on themselves by by tripping over the uh, top order and you know running running out Harry Brook without facing a ball and all the other accidents that went into their slightly kamikaze approach to the chase, all of that came back to bite them at the end. Uh, and, and what you end up with was, was an absolutely classic finish to to a Test match that you know if you if you over analyse it you can say that England gave it away. But I think England, really, we're just trying to make sure whatever happens here, we want to make sure this is a, a fun finish, and that, that is exactly true to everything they've tried to do all year long.
0: And Wagnerball is a lot of fun uh, as well. Um, Bazball is all about breaking records. Um, England be- it became the first team, other than Australia, to lose uh, a test, having enforced the follow-on. They also um, talk about resources they declared in their first innings at eight down, so Arguably, you know, left left runs on the table there. Um, Matt, Brendan McCullum talked uh, previously, I think last summer, about, you know, going too far with this philosophy in order to, you know, to see where that line was. Um, I mean, it was this that that example of, of England pushing it too far? And, and to put it another way, do you think that Stokes would do the same thing in say an an Ashes Test two one up, you know the the final game of the series. Um, this was a bit of a shot to nothing in the sense that um, it, you know it was not a World Test Championship series. It was um, it was a chance to, for a rare win in New Zealand, um, but there wasn't a lot riding on it other than you know entertainment and and then the final result, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I think I think this this felt. Um obviously wasn't there, but sort of reading everything Vish wrote throughout the tour as well, I think it felt like a sort of perfect low stakes environment for um, England under McCullum and Stokes to thrive and to, to try things out as much as anything um, to continue everything that they've done over the past, um, you know, nine months now nearly. Um, and, and yeah, I think it, it, it I, I think in terms of whether they would enforce the follow-on and an ashes test, I think potentially, but I think... Um, I think there would be a lot more criticism for them having done so, if that makes sense. So I think, it, to be honest, I think because of the level of credit in the bank that um, England have, I think there is a general acceptance that, um, you know, things things might go wrong at times and losing by a run in a thrilling finale is hardly going that wrong. Um, but I think there's a sort of general, that there's so much credit in the bank at the moment for those two. I think if this was... Uh, you know the second test of an Asher series, having gone one nil down, um, then having taken the first innings lead that they did, enforced the follow on, and lost by a run. Uh, to to go two nil down in an Ashes series, I think that's a very different question because um, yeah, I think I think that um, much as English cricket likes the idea that it's no longer quite as obsessed with the Ashes as it was two years ago, I think it's been quite evident. Um, especially on this tour that it's been something that uh, England have have clearly been building to I think particularly um, you know having having had such a bad run of results at the start of this World Test Championship cycle that they were never in you know as soon as McCullum was in uh, was in position they were already out of contention to reach the final I think that has meant that the the Ashes has, has become such an obvious um you know staging point and also opportunity for england that um that that this tool represented just yeah the opportunity to build towards that i I find it quite hard to believe that um Stokes would have been forced to follow on it just just feels like it's gone so out of fashion and for such a clear reason um in that it, you know it's just not been very successful and teams have been forced to follow on and also um, in an era where people are much more aware about bowlers' workloads and all that sort of thing um, and tests, and there's generally fewer days between test matches. You get more back-to-back tests. It just feels like a, a bit of a... Um, a, a strange thing to keep flogging your bowlers as the pitch is likely to flatten out so in a Ashes series for example again taking the same example in a second test 1-0 down would you be looking to flog Robinson, Broad and Anderson let's say into the ground knowing that they've got three more tests to come in the next three and a half four weeks probably not in the same way um, as you might be willing to do so just to see whether they, they're able to sustain their pace in their third and fourth spells in, in this test so um, yeah, I think my impression of this tour generally was that it's felt, again, as sort of a continu- continuation of what's come before, but also a fact-finding mission for what lies ahead. Um, and I do think that much, as, um, that much as England will be desperate to avoid sort of losing the, the fun essence that has sort of carried them through this period, I think there will also have to just inevitably be some kind of tweaks to um, to things when when there's that um, extra level of jeopardy. And, and when losing... Matters a bit more because that's been one of the sort of the massive changes has been um people sort of talking about the idea of you know if you actually think about it what are what are the consequences of losing the media might give you a hard time, but do we really care about you know what so and so is writing in whichever paper maybe not um but yeah, those consequences I think the players will feel them will will feel as though they they heighten um, under the scrutiny of an ashes next summer.
1: Although on that though, I mean, in terms of in terms of the fun factor, it was notable, and this is, I suppose, these are the lessons that, that are probably quite useful from from ending this winning run. To be perfectly honest, it's, it's probably healthy that England have lost now rather than going to the Ashes unbeaten and then lose. But you know, in terms of the fun factor. There is no doubt that England mislaid that fun factor after two hundred and thirteen overs in the field where it was Jimmy Anderson dropping catch at the backwards square and looking looking every bit of the fifty four year old he he clearly is at moments like that um yeah that that that's that in itself i think was a lesson um that they will have taken on board that yeah th- th- this really isn't fun if we if we if we overplay our hand and and try to try to buzz our way out of every situation uh but equally. You know, you look at the way that England did go about the recovery after cocking up in, with the bat early in that innings. You, you saw Joe Root and, and Ben Stokes particularly um, sort of knuckle down and produce the two of the most responsible innings we've yet seen under Basball. Um, it, again, it's proof that England are capable of adapting their, their methods. And, and again, it's, it you know it, it harks back to McCullum's general reluctance to embrace the term because he feels it's, it's reductive. It doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't. Give credit to England's adaptability and willingness to to move their plans on the hoof to to um, to cover off scenarios that crop up in in the course of a game, and so you know it was it was a good lesson. Uh, and likewise, Root's Root's hundred in the first innings, where Harry Brooks going mad at the other end, he's just ticking it over, not 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 playing any of the wild shots, and then comes out and starts playing his reverse ramps the following morning when you know he's got 150 looming, and uh, what the hell, he can go for broke. But up until that point. You know that was just Joe Root playing normal cricket, which is which is frankly what everyone wants to see um, at the best of times. Because Joe, Joe Root playing normal cricket is significantly better than normal uh, for anyone else.
0: Um, it's, it's worth uh, worth saying as well. There's a example a parallel, I suppose, with the, the Owen Morgan's the One Day side and how they had to um, fall hard a few times to, to to develop the smarts for different conditions. Um, and and there's an argument with um with the, the the tactics that i mean Stokes saying they thought that was the best way to win you've just bowled New Zealand out for 200 and they were perhaps lucky to make that many given Tim Southie um was their top scorer if they'd knocked over a couple in what were still pretty helpful conditions uh, early on that um on that third third afternoon um then the game probably would have finished a lot more quickly um uh, 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 black Matt on um, on Ben Stokes playing a, a more sensible innings I mean we've we've um, we've seen him uh, be uh, almost sort of hyper aggressive uh, as as the the standard bearer for the the new philosophy of his team um, on this occasion he he went sort of back to, to heading lead 2019 and uh, 12 13 balls to get off the mark that sort of thing uh, and really dug in um, but partly, uh, it seemed anyway. Uh, uh, you know, ball by balling it and, and um, watching through the night. It was as much to do with the um, pain he was in and, and the discomfort. Because as it's emerged throughout this tour, um, his knee problem is quite a significant one and something that he's managing. Um, I think he only bowled two overs um, in the series, um, and he was visibly restricted um, in that in that final day innings. Uh, and when he got out, it was sort of almost a, a grimace of right. I've I've, I've I'm going to get hit or I'm going to get out here, and uh, you know, he sort of threw the bat almost literally, I think, one hand off, uh, off the handle. At, at Neil Wagner's second bumper at his head. Um, out in England in an ashes uh, in an ashes year, uh, the sort of totemic captain. Uh, we, we've we've had the, the, the dramas around um, that sort of thing in the past uh, uh, totemical rounders uh, carrying carrying injuries into into Ashes series um, but Stokes is going to the IPL and Brendan McCullum is confident that uh, Chennai Super is going to manage him well Stokes himself has sort of suggested that he thinks it will be um, a, a good place to kind of rehab uh, which I'm not so sure about uh, how that will work but uh, I suppose the workload of bowling a few overs in the T20 uh, and batting for sort of 30 or 40 balls um is quite different to playing a test um but it's it's well if not a gamble it's going to be a situation that england will be monitoring and rob key will be monitoring um very closely over the next two three
2: months yeah it will be really interesting i think reading between the lines of what stokes himself and mccullum said after that um that second test at Wellington, I would be relatively surprised if Stokes bowls more than, on average, a couple of overs a game at Chennai. I think also looking at the squads that they've picked over the last few years and what they've got from the auction, they're not one of the teams who would potentially be using him as their fifth bowler or anything like that. They've generally had, they've been stacked with all-rounders, part-time options, all that sort of thing. So um, compared to some franchises who might potentially have bought him as the one guy who was going to balance our side and solve all our issues um with a click of the fingers i don't think he's quite that um for chennai in that i think they're seeing him as a batter first and a leader second and a part-time bowler third um but yeah of course it is a it is a risk in that um he will be with he will be in the hands of chennai's medical team rather than under close supervision of england's um for a couple of months um, the interesting one, sort of, I suppose, taking that forward a little bit is um, I, I was thinking about this when I was sort of working out uh, during the, the ODI series in Bangladesh, how Stokes might or might not fit into England's uh, 50 over overall cup plans, because clearly he's, you know, we all know he's retired from the format. And I think the general expectation was that um, there would probably be a Hail Mary call that would go out at some point in August or September where uh, Matthew Mott and Joss Butler would take on, Ben you know, sort yourself out, get in the squad. Um, That said, I think given the extent of his knee injury, um, speaking, you know, without extensive medical knowledge, but just having seen him in sort of, I think he's bowled something like 16, 17 overs in his last three or four test matches um, and has been in pain every time he has. um, I wouldn't actually be that surprised if Stokes' approach to sort of play the IPL give everything in the ashes and then see that period as actually a chance to um, take some time off from cricket entirely, get his knee right, um, and then use the 2024 IPL as a sort of chance to build up for the T20 World Cup, uh, which follows sort of scarily soon after that, I think in sort of May 2024, um, which suddenly is, what, 14 months away. Um, so I, I, I wonder actually whether, um, you know, whether that might be, what Stokes's sort of medium term plan is. He may also not have actually mapped it out so much and be very much thinking play it by ear. Um wouldn't be a surprise for him to go to the IPL, try and bowl a bit, realize that it's not right, um you know, either come home early or play as a specialist batter for a bit. Um I think it will be an evolving situation and I think it will be one that yeah, will will leave England quite concerned because clearly it's a it's a very different team um if it doesn't have if you don't have Stokes the the bowler in the in, in the top 7 because um you know England will very much be reliant on three quicks and a spinner um in that case if they stick with the same balance and sort of you know it's it's hard enough working out how they get who that who's going to be squeezed out um when and if baasto comes back from injury as it is let alone if you were trying to sort of shoehorn an extra uh, bowling option in there, you know, like a Will Jacks or someone as a as a spinner, or I, I don't know, Chris Wokes at number seven. It's it's pretty tricky to to work out how that would fit. So I think um, England will be pretty keen for him to be available and uh, available to bowl um, specifically in those sort of hard grunt overs that often seem to um, come up in the you know second or third day of an Ashes test where Steve Smith's on his way to yet another. Determined hundred, um, so I uh, yeah I I think it I think it, it you're right that it will be a a concern for um, England over the next few months, and I think they will be a bit anxious when he flies out to India. Um, but that said, I think you know I, I think it's I think no one would question Stokes's willingness to be involved in this Ashes series in particular, given um, you know given his history with the Ashes. I think if you think back to. Um, you know, not only 2019, but also sort of rushing back in 21, 22, missing 17, 18. It's it sort of it, it's been, despite um, those World Cup final heroics, the Ashes has been a defining, uh, a defining thing in Stokes's career, and I think he'll see this series as a real chance to, um, you know, not that he needs to cement his legacy or in any way. I think it, but but it would be a defining achievement if his captaincy, if he was to. Um, regain the ashes after what is actually now quite a, a, a decent period of time for England. So um, yeah, I think I, I think while he he you know is occasionally pushes himself too far as we've seen for however long throughout his career, I think he'll be pretty. Um, I I would suggest that compared to usual, he will err on the side of being over cautious in the IPL rather than pushing it um, really far to try and you know close out a win against Lucknow in. Um, round seven, I, I think he he'll probably have have the long term focus uh, at the back of his mind. England will be hoping he doesn't go for any uh, diving
0: boundary catches. Rajasthan, he did his finger, wasn't it, a couple of years ago, which began you know a cycle of of problems for him. Um, and he's already said he'll be back for that um, Ireland Test, Miller. Um, I mean. England have actually discovered they've got another all-rounder in their ranks. Uh, ha- Harry Brooks' uh, wrong-foot 65-mile-an-hour seamers uh, ended up breaking <laughs> breaking the, the uh, Wellington Test open. Um, I mean, I, I don't think he's quite the substitute for Ben Stokes, uh yeah, in that you know, uh, the, the fulcrum of the side, but he is shaping up as uh, as quite a special player. We should probably touch on some of the, the records he either broke or or got near. It, um, in that second test, um, he scored one hundred eighty six in the first innings and then was run out without facing a ball in the second. So, um, tantalisingly, he was I think the. Uh, the man with the most runs uh, in the history of test cricket after nine innings and scoring them uh, in uh, eye popping strike rate of uh, sort of 98 or something. Um, he obviously didn't add to that in, in his 10th inning. So I think Vinod Campbell is back ahead of him. Uh, if you just do it on Um, tests rather than innings. Uh, He is third after six test matches uh, with 809 runs behind a certain Don Bradman, uh, who was all right, and Sunil Gavaska. Um, So, yeah, anyway, the the dibbly-dobbly seam aside... He's he's uh, he's looking pretty uh, pretty safe bet for England at the moment, and and, it, and for the MLB it seems.
1: Well, indeed. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just to touch on the touch on the first of all. I mean, that <laughs> that was actually really really quite reassuring to see quite how <laughs> awful his bowling was. You know, you kind kind of assume that you know this this superhuman you know six foot several leviathan who's suddenly appeared in English cricket would <laughs> would be would be some sort of Unbelievable golden arm just hit, hiding under a bushel. Not a bit of it. Uh, dirty pies down the leg side. I mean, it, it was the worst dismissal in, in, a, in a test match since since Alistair Cook's debut uh, maiden wicket in 2014, in, in, in my opinion. And exactly the same sort of leg side tickle and, and a very dirty catch. So, um, yeah. I mean, it, but it in looked like being the defining moment, frankly. It, it had broken the game over. And exactly that point, as I was saying, when, when England was so... Deeply unamused by by life in after two hundred overs in the field, and you know they didn't even take their third new ball. They they, they kept Brook on to keep keep bowling all the way through. It was just uh, it just they just could not get off that field quickly enough. But thanks to that wicket, they ended up giving themselves what I think they assumed would be a cakewalk, given that they chased what two seven seven, two nine six, and two nine nine against uh, New Zealand in the home summer. Not to mention three five eight against India. They thought the you know two a two five eight was was was. Uh, it was easy peasy, uh, but yeah. Then the slight, slight um, flying the ointment was running Harry Brook out without facing a ball. You know, if it, the one the one weakness he has is is a willingness to trust Joe Root's calling, which uh, you know, uh, you, you, I, I, I imagine there are there are less trustworthy faces in the England team when it comes to calling for a quick single. So I, I can I can see how he got done there. Uh, but no, it was a, it was a non-existent run and a non-existent innings. And that really did put the skids under England's uh, prospects. Because you know, again, coming back to that 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 um that follow-on and and will chase anything mentality, when you've got a guy like Harry Brook in the form that he's been in, uh, why wouldn't you believe he can chase anything? I mean, he looked like he could he could win anything from any position and he barely barely looked fallible. I think I remember one or two inside edges when he when he went for broke early on in his in his one eight six in the first innings. But I mean, I've made the, I've made the comparison before with Kevin Peterson. Uh, it's very similar. You see that you see that um, that Mark Sky Masterclass, they so forever showing the little sting of KP. One of the best things I've ever done, to be perfectly honest. KP on on head position and and how he how he uses throwdowns to line himself up. Harry Brooks got exactly that. Harry Brook has a long reach with his with his lower with his lower back and his neck, and he gets right forward, head over the ball to every single length you can imagine. So he turns non-existent lengths into drivable lengths and you know anything's too short ping off it goes it's uh it, he is such a complete package it's it's quite terrifying what 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 his ceiling is to be perfectly honest and uh, yeah i i i look forward to seeing how he goes as the marquee man in uh in the ipl as well i mean you know to hear his uh his downbeat estimations of his of his of his abilities in, 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 in interviews, he's, he seems incredibly grounded in spite of everything that's that's been thrown at him. You know, openly talking about yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Gilbert Jessup's in my sights. You know, <laughs> only at 7, 77 hundred every time he every time he goes to the crease, he's, he's sort, sort of openly admitting yeah, it might be today. I'm, I'm going to get it one day. I mean, it's uh, he's got that cocksure confidence in his ability that KP always carried and and a similar stage of KP's career actually I remember interviewing him around 2006 and there was that brief window before he had his issue with left arm spin in particular uh, but before he'd really been found out by anyone and you genuinely spoke when speaking to him you genuinely thought he was he was invincible there was no his entire demeanor, is bulletproof, very, very different sort of demeanor to Brook, but the same sort of projection of, I'm, I'm something special here, and I'm bulletproof, and there's nothing is going to unsettle my route to the top, and you totally got that in the early months of KP's career. Obviously, his performance in the Ashes was a standout, but the way he went out to South Africa in that ODI series and scored his three hundreds there, in, in including the bullring, and you know the, the abuse he was getting, all, all the, all the backstory that went into KP. You see an awful lot of that in, in what Brook is able to do in a, from, from a very different standpoint. But the, the end result is a guy in, in the middle who is in utter command of pretty much every situation gets thrown at him. Which isn't to say that something, you know, maybe dibbly-dobby seamers down the leg side will, will be his own kryptonite. You never know what. There will be something that, that unsettles this extraordinary start. But objectively speaking, from watching everything he's achieved across all formats so far... It's incredibly hard to see what his weakness is, and it's very rare that you you see a batsman come onto the stage quite that quite that quite that obviously flawless. Um, so watch the space. It, it, it is incredibly exciting what 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 his ceiling could be.
0: Yes, well, we are going to have fun uh, following it and and keeping track of um, how close uh, he gets to Gilbert Jessup. Uh, of course, Johnny Bairstow is still the the guy that's um, got nearest to knocking him off his perch uh, in the Basball era. So, and and he's coming back to fitness, but uh, I think um, yeah, some some way off a, a return, perhaps in the IPL or perhaps for England. But uh, uh, as Matt mentions, that's another selection conundrum uh, to come. Um, we 'd better move swiftly on because there's there 's been a lot to uh to uh, talk about and a lot happened since we last uh, got together. Um we were going to have Valkyrie Baines uh, on the uh, the show this week to um uh, relate her time at the Women's World Cup in South Africa. Um unfortunately she's crook. So it's uh, we we well, the day before International Women's Day we're falling back on uh, three blokes uh, to discuss the tournament. Um <coughs> but uh, there's certainly no doubts about the, the the format being on the rise women's T20 what with the, the women's Premier League starting in the last few days as well. Um, To the tournament itself, England England expected, uh, as they do, but uh, the Brits abroad were handed their return passes by Brits at home as South Africa knocked them out in the uh, semi-final stage in the process of becoming the first team from the country, men's or women's, to reach a World Cup final in any format. Um, Of course, referring to Tasman Brits, who was the player of the match, uh, with sixty four or fifty five balls uh, and four catches as well England falling six runs short um miller we i mean we were trying to catch up on sleep i think uh, uh, when when this game was occurring, but um it was a bit of a shock uh, given the way uh, john lewis's side uh, heather Knight's side had kind of marauded through the group stage
1: it was but it was it was a very it was a very uplifting shock in so many ways. I mean, um, Firdos wrote wrote really nicely about about the spirit of Ubuntu that the South Africa managed to carry in all the way into the final. Uh, you know, after losing that first game against against Sri Lanka, and you know, they looked like a typical climb car of a of a, of a South African World Cup outfit, men's and women's. They you know get to get to the big stage and bottle it, particularly on home soil. But then somehow, they actually end up mirroring more more like some sort of Pakistani resurrection <laughs> narrative. You know, they they, they suddenly got. Got the, the the force with them and rose through the tournament to such an extent that yeah they 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 came into that semi final in front of in front of a enthralled crowd at Newlands that were really getting behind the whole tournament and um, yeah England England had a really bad day I mean it's uh, it, it does seem to have happened happened a lot I mean we were talking up the, the the new I think John Ball didn't really stick but the 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 idea that England would would be Lube ball, God knows what it'll be, but but it didn't it didn't stick. Whatever whatever the the new aggressive mentality that England have taken to to their their game. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's the wrong way to go about. I think it's the right way for pretty much all formats. Given that T Twenty is the, is the zeitgeist, and and you know, going harder and faster is the obvious way to to get where you are trying to get to in this in this era. I don't think there is any issues with that. Um, but England are just caught a little bit. It seems between between eras. I mean, we saw this at the at the Commonwealths, in my opinion. Um, you know, when when Heather Knight was missing and England didn't have the experienced heads to get them over the line. But now, wh- while they're sort of heading the other direction and bringing through the kids, they still can't quite work out what to do with their experienced heads. I mean, obviously, Brunt um, was was a little bit in the firing line for getting grumpy with Alice Capty at one stage. I mean, as an aside on that, I, I think it's a bit it's a bit judgmental to, to say that the, the women can't get cross when they're playing cricket. I mean, God knows I get cross playing a club game. I mean, I mean you know, why 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 shouldn't she get cross if someone uh, misfields during a semi-final? It's, uh, it's entirely within her right to, to expect high standards, uh, uh, but that's, that's fine. Trouble is, she didn't deliver her own high standards, sadly. I, I, and, and, you know, having not brought Izzy Wong, I, it, it kind of feels as though England weren't quite committing to their new era. They wanted to sort of almost see out the old era and you know, give them the send off they've clearly earned after, you know, winning the World Cup in twenty seventeen. Oh that's a long time ago now. And um, you know, haven't quite committed to turning the turning the page. And so, you know, another tournament's gone by where England have, have, have promised a new beginning, but actually it's been a bit of a same old ending. Uh so presumably next time I mean, obviously, you've got you've got the Ashes double header with the men next summer, which you know it's not it's a bilateral series, but it's going to be a massive one because of the platform it's going to get with, in conjunction with the men. And you know, Australia have just proven in that World Cup final that they are still absolutely streets ahead, not only of their peers in the women's game, but probably their their contemporaries in pretty much any other sporting body, men's or women's. You know, they are so good at winning, and uh, you know. On home soil in a double header ashes, England are going to have to try to find a way to reach that level, and they fell badly short at that semi-final. And they're going to have to come again, and put I think more faith in in the fact you know through the hundred they've produced you know it's only a couple of couple of editions, but they've they've got something going with the kids. In the uh, an old colleague of mine, Abid was 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 talking up Maya Bouchier, for instance, who didn't another another player who didn't make it to this. Uh, uh, to, to the to the sharp end of the tournament, another player who probably deserves to be given a chance to to have a real run at, um, at taking the game forward. So, um, yeah, it's interesting times. I mean, you know, the fact we're talking about it in such depth, and the fact that you know the scrutiny that comes with with being expected to to be better, you know, it, it, it's harsh. You know, the 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 judgment is there uh when you have the platform and obviously that's only going to get bigger now with the with the wpl ki- kicking off so uh you know it, it the there are expectations that come come with 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 the the platform that that, that they have are on now uh, and um they're going to have to to them
0: yeah, I mean, we've seen um, Matt. we've seen England lose at the sort of the final, semi-final stage uh, quite regularly over over recent tournaments, obviously since that 2017 um, World Cup victory. Uh, and and uh, obviously any team can lose a, a one-off game. South Africa played pretty well, it's fair to say. Um, but it, I mean, it looked as if England were embracing this new, Uh, Approach. There was a lot of uh, you know quite positive talk about it from within the team. They they became the first uh, women's team to score two hundred at a World Cup T Twenty World Cup. So um, a record two hundred thirteen for five. They uh, rattled up against Pakistan in their final group game. Um, They had. Five batters uh, with a strike rate of 138 or above, uh, which uh, is is uh, you know pr- pretty decent um, by the standards of the, of the women's game. I think only Australia had um, Australia had three, um, uh, but uh, it, and they were largely players like uh, Elise Perry and Grace Harris who didn't face many balls and were, came in with a license to tee off. So you're looking at kind of almost England's all of England's top order, you know, showing a, a really um, aggressive approach. Uh, Throughout, Um, I think no one scored more runs, a high strike than that strike rate than that. Siver Brunt. Um, They they showed in their opening group game that they were willing to sort of um, trade off, uh, you know, losing wickets in order to get to a target. I think they won with like five overs to spare against West Indies. Um, So there was. I mean, this sort of not quite a baseball esque mindset mindset shift, but um, John Lewis appeared to have set a bit of a stamp on the team. Um, obviously, it 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 fell at that semi final hurdle, and we won't we will never know whether whether they could have given Australia a game, but they've got that test, as Miller says, to come in the, in the summer.
2: Yeah, I I suppose it's if you were looking <laughs> at um, the two recent tournaments, so the Commonwealth Games and the T Twenty World Cup um, as a pair, you would probably say having twice been knocked out in pretty similar circumstances in semi-finals despite not having had to play Australia in either of them um, probably represents a a bit of a an underwhelming pair of results for England which sounds incredibly harsh given um, you know in in both tournaments they sort of steamroll everyone in the group stage but um, I suppose it it is um you know it's a pretty pretty cutthroat business when when you have these knockout tournaments where um one slip up is enough and i suppose it, just thinking back to the the commonwealth games it was the the two semi-finals were incredibly similar i think a few people have pointed it out but um i think england were chasing exactly the same score in the semi-final against india in 2022 they were chasing 165 to win um exactly the same score in south africa um and both times they fell you know a handful of runs short and both times They were probably arguably caught between two stools in terms of, um, you know, combining the aggressive mindset that um, is much easier to harness in uh, bilateral games with the sort of need for senior players to step up and take responsibility and all those sort of cliches and run chases. So I think, you know, last time... Last time that Silver Brunt scored it just under a runner ball against India and they, they lost. And this time, you know, Silver Brunt and Knight were the two sort of anchors, I suppose, in this team and knocked it around pretty well and looked like they were gonna take England close, but couldn't quite get them over the line. And um, you know, it, it feels feels harsh to make too much of it given it's it's two games, um, both decided on incredibly fine margins. But I suppose when you have two very similar exits from tournaments in the space of a relatively short space of time, it does sort of start to look a little bit like a pattern. um, And I suppose England will, will have to um, work out how they can um, avoid that happening again over the next couple of years, building into the next ICC event. But I suppose looking at, um, you know, looking at how much the women's game feels like it's changing right now um, with, you know, various England players at the WPL, a few more in, Raul Pindi at the moment for the uh, women's PSL exhibition matches, then more heading to the fair break tournament in, I think, April or May, um, followed by 100, the 100 drafts coming up in a few weeks, all this sort of thing. Um, it feels like by the time we actually get to the next Women's D20 World Cup, which I think is in 2024 or 5 um, we're going to have a, a, you know, the, the whole game is going to be in such a different spot um, that maybe it will feel quite... Quite retro, the idea of us talking about um, you know the, these two games, um, and, and they might seem like they took place quite a long time ago by that stage. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this um, seems to be a, a, a um, you know
0: a, a tipping point or, a, or a, um, a a moment when the women's game um, moves up a level. Mill, um, I mean, certainly the the money coming in through uh, the women's Premier League um, it you know been long sort of mooted uh, and much you know, uh, you know clamoured for, I suppose, understandably the, the players. Um, looking at, at how uh, successful the ipl has been and and obviously the the equivalents of sort of the, the women's big bash and the uh, the hundred have have been popular but the, there's not quite the the uh, the level of of money and marketing and 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 momentum you get from uh, from india getting on board um I mean, the early stages of that tournament uh, look very impressive. You, you know, some some, some standout um, performances, big scoring uh, p- people popping up like uh, Tara Norris, I think, who um, is a uh, USA international via uh, Southern Vipers and, and you know, got a pretty interesting backstory. Um, I mean, it's it's a whole new stage, isn't it, w- w- which you can. Um, Make a career, uh, uh, you know, uh, become uh, a a a sort of world, uh, worldwide um, famous cricketer, um, and and the yeah, the, the knock on effects um, could be quite significant. I mean, uh, it, not least, uh, I mean, in, in the Brunt household where um, Nat got a, a four hundred thousand deal and Catherine didn't, but I, I think Nat's wearing Catherine's number uh, at the at the tournament. So uh, yeah, lots to unpick
1: there is i mean you know we were we were kind of having this discussion back in january when we were talking about the the the, the, the explosion of the of the men's franchise circuit with 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 the, the south africa and and UAE tournaments and you know we are we're at that we're at a similar similar staging point here but but obviously with the women's game it's it's fascinating because it's coming from such a low base you know Let's be let's be honest about this. The, the, you know, a couple a couple a couple of years ago, there weren't any professional players anywhere, and so to to get to get to this situation so quickly, it's actually you know in some ways it's actually quite gratifying. You you, you look at Mumbai Indians, for instance. Look at score scorecard of Mumbai Indians. You look at Haley Matthews, Preet Kaur, Nat Siverbrunt, Izzy Wong. You know, Akhandaay Mothers, uh, 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 Amelia Kerr, I think there as well. You know, you got absolute creme de la creme of the women's game and. They're all in the same place at the same time, and that is so. That, frankly, is is probably a healthier way, healthier breeding ground for women's cricket than the current bilateral system. Where you know, you mentioned Tara Norris there. I mean, where's where's USA's team going to come? You know, she, she's a, she's a she's a she's an anomaly within that team. Not much support yet, but obviously coming out a superstar at the WPL will help propagate the game over there. Um, you look at Chamari Atapatu, say, another player, one of the stars of the upset um, of, of South Africa in the in, in the World Cup. But again, you know, Sri Lanka on their own, you know, they're not necessarily going to be able to elevate to reach the same levels as, as Australia, India and England. But, you know, if their best players are cherry picked and, and become superstars through these franchise tournaments, be it the WPL or the 100 or wherever else, it feels as though that's a much better way to build the sort of momentum you get going into a football World Cup. And we've had that for years. You know, you end up with, you know, look at Wales, for instance. You've got Gareth Bale becomes a superstar off the back of his exploits at Tottenham and Real Madrid and then goes off and somehow he inspires a team to, you know, exceed expectations and reach the semifinals in, in whichever tournament it was a few years ago. So, you know, these th- these sort of narratives, I think, are more likely to emerge thanks to... The game sort of fragmenting and going down this route. Now what that means for the men's game obviously you know we, it's I think the women's game is going to look a lot healthier in this in this fragmented world because there's less to break down if, if you know if West Indies and Sri Lanka don't play a five match T20 bilateral series are we going to miss it? No we are not uh, so you know you don't need to worry about scrubbing that off the calendar. Um, it's not so easy in the men's game but it was interesting hearing what Josh Butler had to say after the uh, after the Bangladesh series, obviously um, yesterday England lost their their final game, but England literally could not have cared less. You know, they 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 they've, they it's it's extraordinary, really, isn't it? They, you know, they're coming into their final overseas match of the World Cup cycle uh, ahead of a tournament out in similar conditions in Asia, and they're they're giving an eighteen-year-old leg spinner a ten-over debut and keeping their senior leg spinner up the, up the sleeve and thinking, you know what what the hell let's just let's just see see, see what our options are for future tournaments england are, are so chilled about where they are with their with their world cup prospects because you know frankly they haven't done an awful lot on on the on the odi front what 36 games in this cycle but you know they're off to the IPL next week and then they've got the hundred and then they've you know they've got a little opportunity to get back together again at the end of the summer and you know maybe find June a few lineups against Ireland and New Zealand and then go to the world cup it's like it, this is this is the new reality uh, and joss butler put it you know he he said that, that you know we, we we will get our learnings from going to these tournaments we're not going to learn an awful lot from endlessly trying to trying to play our best 11 which you know i, I think matt said in his piece today is like England have not played their best eleven at any point since winning the World Cup at Lords in on July the 14th, 2019. It's absolutely extraordinary, um, but that's just the reality of this fragmented world. And so, to come back to the point, you know, obviously we're talking about the women's game in the, in the first instance there, but it's equally applicable to the men. Uh, the game is changing so rapidly. Uh, the, the franchise, for want of a better word, because obviously you know, the hundreds not franchise yet, but watch this space. Um, you know, the franchise world is is moving quickly. The money will talk and the players will follow it. And, you know, the ICC will keep up, presumably, by having a, a jamboree every couple of years in whatever format, and everyone gets back together. And, um, you know, the World Cup actually, you know, you, the ICC events become the marquee events that, that perhaps in recent months, with you know, seem to come up every, every couple of weeks at the moment, it's, uh, they probably, probably could do with a bit more breathing room to, to feel like the, the, the real deal that, uh, that they deserve to be.
0: All aboard the money train. Um, the women are, ver- are very welcome. Um, I think uh, we we've almost uh, seamlessly segued into the last stop uh, for the pod uh, this week. Um, another belter in the delta as England did something special in the dash. Um, Matt Joss Butler oversaw what was uh, only Bangladesh's second uh, home defeat in an ODI series since 2014. Um, and Butler, uh, Butler's England handed out the last one as well. This was a last chance, as, as you've written in your piece on the site, for players to make a case to themselves before the, the uh, that men's um world the, uh, world cup um ODI world cup later in the year. Uh, I mean, the selection is expected to sort of uh, the squad to be submitted almost before England have played the uh, series against uh, New Zealand and Ireland at the end of the summer. Um, so, what what were the what were the takeaways? Um,
2: I suppose. Uh Jason Roy has obviously established himself over the past um over the past six games if you throw back to the South Africa series as well at the end of January and I think it, it's now harder to see him missing out on the squad altogether than it was uh six months ago. I think it, it would have seemed quite unlikely six months ago that he would have gone to India because his form was so wretched last year. Um but having hit hit two hundreds and I think the you know it would be easy to um, underestimate how good the one in the second ODI was as well. He started a bit scratchily, but I think if you look at the um, the the rate at which he scored throughout that series, it was um, you know it was pretty much him and Butler out on their own in terms of managing to consistently score at, um, a run a ball or thereabouts. Um, and obviously, David Milan and Sam Curran were, I suppose, the other guys who have sort of established themselves and really kicked on since twenty nineteen and, and forced their way into. Into the squad, Milan sort of continuing his habit from T Twenty internationals um, of of taking pretty much every opportunity he gets. I think that's you know three consecutive England series this winter where he scored a hundred, um, and it's very very difficult to leave someone out after that, um, no matter how how little um, ODI cricket he's played across his career. I think he's still only played something like eighteen games. Um, but, you know, if you look at how how the 50-over game is structured now in England, it, it would make sense that someone like him is doing pretty well because he's played so much list A cricket. Um, a lot of young batters haven't really comparatively. He gets the tempo. It fits in perfectly. I think he's always said a lot sort of all along um, that it, it felt like an anomaly that um, he played a lot of T20 cricket and a lot of test cricket for England, but very little 50-over cricket, which he's has always felt is his best format. Um And I think that innings in Mirpur was, you know, it was um, kind of confounded the idea that um, he's, you know, he's not always been at his best against spin. And if you had to put together a set of conditions in a scenario where Milan might not be at his best, you'd say, you you know, chasing a total on a real raging Bunsen in in Mirpur against a pretty useful uh, Bangladesh spin attack, that would probably be about perfect um, to sort of try and expose some flaws. So for him to come through that challenge as seamlessly as he did, um, pretty much single-handedly, uh, with a bit of help from Alan Rashid, guide England over the line in that game. I think that was a a, a pretty special innings, um, and, and again, make, makes it very difficult to see him being left out of that squad um, come September time. And through all the sort of, um, you know, there they, will inevitably be some debates over the next months of six it's next six months of white ball cricket with an IPL, a T Twenty Blast, the hundred, all that sort of thing still to come um i think england realistically will make a couple of late calls on sort of balance of the squad whether they want the you know sixth seamer in the squad or whether they want the spin all-rounder and someone like will jacks or something like that but i think it's i think for the most part the squad pretty much picks itself barring um anything completely extraordinary happening over the next uh yeah 6 month period which Given um, how England yeah. sort of have 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 relegated fifty-over cricket to a secondary format over the last three and a half years, is quite a surprising turn of events. Yeah, well, just a final M- word on M- Milan. Miller's. Sorry, Miller's always said it would be all right on the night. Uh, well, well,
1: just, just, <laughs> just one final word on Milan, though. Just I I, I give um, our, our colleague Mohammed Izam, I thought, wrote the definitive piece about his innings because, I mean, this really, as far as I'm concerned, goes to the heart of why England will be a threat at the World Cup. Is that this this team is a deeply deeply experienced team, not just situational experience, but you know they've got they've got caps behind them, but they've also you know Milan has played what 50, 50 matches, professional matches in in Bangladesh, or be it the BPL, or be it in, you know local leagues. You know he's been out there, he understands how to pace an in innings in those conditions, and you know likewise we saw uh, before before Christmas, Harry Brook, you know out, out in out in the PSL, um, he knew. The conditions he was going to face when he played his, played his England series out there and and he, and he blew the socks off it England have been all around the world you know, partly thanks to the franchise their franchise availability with what sixty this sixty different players across the world this winter but they have got they 've got the ability just to 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 balance their their attack and defense in a way that is you know is, is, is a hard earned right to be able to do i mean look at that that second odi for instance the, 326 for seven. That that's precisely the sort of score that England were getting in the World Cup um, in 2019. And bear in mind, obviously, England went into that World Cup with Virat Kohli sort of ripping them. They weren't going to score 500 every innings. And uh, in the end, they were they were they were doing well to get past 300 because the pitches were tough and they had to they had to adapt their gung ho mentality. But you know, with with Milan. In that run chase, and then Jason Roy proving the value of his own experience, and even joss Butler frankly, in that final final o d i when england were 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 trying to trying to hunt down the win with Butler pushing down down to six, I think at one stage he was what twenty six from twenty four without a single boundary i mean even without going gung ho he was still batting at more than the runner run a ball without a boundary i mean it's it, that is incredible situational experience coming to play there that England can tick over at a, at a rate that most players. Would struggle to take over at all, and so you know it does make you think that they have got, they've got the measure of the conditions they will face. They, they there will be challenges clearly, uh, but they, they there is such a wealth of experience within that squad, and as Matt has written, you know at least nine or ten of the twenty nineteen team will be back for more, and probably you know it feels a bit like the the the. the Almost the same as the, the Australia team in 2007. You know, they, they, that was their last hurrah. All very similar sort of ages. Even McGrath was, you know, he was the old man of that team. But uh, pretty much everyone was 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 significantly over 30, be it Ponting or Hayden or Brett Lee and all the rest of it. And, and they steamrolled that World Cup. So not saying England will do the same, but I think they will be able to go into the World Cup with a similar knowledge that you know what we're actually pretty damn good at what we do here. And this is our last chance to uh, to do it as 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 the team that has has got us this far since 2015. So um, yeah, um, all all more reason why they were able to come into that final game and say, you know what, Rian Ahmed, go for your life. You're, you're the future of this side. Have 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 some fun in this in this in this uh, low low jeopardy but but high octane game. If that makes any sort of sense. And, you know, store it up and go again for, for 2027 20, or whatever, whatever the time will come calling for him.
0: Well, I was going to say that plenty of this squad uh, have experience of, uh, of, of IPL and conditions in India. Ray Hanaymo doesn't yet, but I'm sure it won't be too long. Um, worth a quick mention for Adil Rashid, uh, who was allowed sort of five overs off the other night. Um, he's up to third on England's ODI wicket-takers list. Uh, I guess that goes back to Matt's point about the enduring class of, uh, of that uh, 2019 side um, and a comeback for Saqib Mahmood as well, which uh, uh, adds to the, the depth of the seam bowling options. Um, in what is another packed year of international cricket, as I think we've established over the course of the last hour, um, I think we've squeezed as much as we can in uh, for one show. But um, England have three more T20Is in Bangladesh, and it won't be long before we can all settle into the quieter rhythms of the start of the county season, uh, while keeping up with the IPL on the sly, of course. We'll be back for more just as soon as the schedule allows. Until then, my thanks to Miller and Matt and to you all for tuning in to the Switch Hit Podcast on espnquickinfo.com.